Hey everybody, welcome to the Citizens Climate Lobby National Meeting. I'm Madeline Para, and I'm really happy to host the meeting today. I love seeing all the places you are uh, joining from across the country. And you know, January is such a good time to reflect on why we do things. So here's why I think we have this monthly meeting. We offer it as a way to grow in our perspective and our understanding. It helps us stay in action persistently to be together. And it helps us remember that we're not acting in isolation in our homes or communities. In fact, we're part of a big national, even international team. And collectively, our persistent actions, both the big ones and the small ones, they add up to significant progress and just wonderful achievements. So thank you for all of that. I truly believe that the merging of the local autonomy that you have in your chapters but, and to figure out the best way to work for you in combination with our understanding of ourselves as a United National Team, that that's a sweet spot for climate advocates. So let's savor our connection here. And I really can't think of a better way to start the year than by having Drew Jones back as our speaker today. Drew is the director and co-founder of Climate Interactive, which developed the climate simulators, sea roads and En-ROADS, and they make it easy for users to see how combinations of various solutions will affect global temperatures. So we're gonna get updated on uh, or introduced if you're new to it on the simulator. Uh, they're always improving it. And we'll all be the beneficiaries also of Drew's big perspective on climate solutions that I think comes from his long work modeling policy solutions. A lot of you already know and use the simulator. Uh, and in fact, our volunteers, and you're going to meet them, are just about to launch an En-ROADS engagement action team. So when they're done, I'm going to come back to the theme of the power of our individual group and collective actions. And whether you're on this meeting on Zoom live with us, or with whether you're watching with your chapter or in your own home, whether you're watching as a recording, as a CCL volunteer, you're connected to a lot of other like-minded people. So, uh, you know, usually, Drew, on this call, we like to tell our speakers a little about who you're talking to, but, All you right. know, well, so I'm just going to give you one number and then turn it over to you. And that one number illustrates how individual or small group actions add up. Here's the number, 486. That's how many outreach events using En-ROADS that have been reported in our action tracker in the last two wow. years. Wow. I know, isn't that amazing? I'm going to bet there's some that also weren't reported. We love En-ROADS. So thank you so much for giving us this tool uh, and for taking time today. Great. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Madeline. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, we are just so thrilled about our partnership with CCL and so excited about all the results that you have brought to the world. It's really been amazing over these last years to watch the power that you have, the power that you deliver. And just the excitement I have of being able to continue to be a wind in your sails as we address this challenges of climate change and equity together. So I want to uh, just give a little bit of, of background about us and what we're doing. Uh, here's a, a little bit of, you can see my screen of uh, Climate Interactive. We work closely with MIT Sloan's Sustainability Initiative. You can see our Twitter handles there. And I wanna welcome uh, our partner in this, uh, Bethany Patton from MIT, who works most closely with all of the work at DC and supporting everything that we do with legislative partners 
in settings like this, you talked about all the events and using En-ROADS with uh, decision makers of different types. This is the kind of setting. There's Bethany on the far left with me and En-ROADS. Here's 30 members of Congress thinking together about what kind of strategies are really needed. Of course, this has been particularly effective with partners of ours like John Curtis of the Conservative Climate Caucus, who said some nice things about his use of En-ROADS. He invited Bethany to come out and facilitate a really important planning meeting with Republicans. And the model, of course, is freely available around the world. Here are all of the uh, places where people have run. You guys are 482 events, but boy, so many all around the world because it is in 18 languages now. And the core of what we're going to be doing is playing with the model. Here it is. The beauty of it, if you haven't seen it yet, it is allows you to see very quickly the impacts of actions such as carbon pricing. But I'll pause for a second and introduce Bethany Patton. Bethany, maybe you could say a few words about the role of MIT and all that you guys are bringing to this work. Sure. And I'll change my name in, in a second. I thought I had done that, but it looks like I've gone <laughs> back to being Andrew Jones, which is a, actually not a bad person to be associated with, as you all know. Um, I'm Bethany Patton. I work over at MIT Sloan School of Business in the Sustainability Initiative. And part of our work is to help promote the work of Drew through this project that we're calling the Climate Pathways Project. Of course, Drew is really the engine that runs it. We just um, sort of help him along with the MIT brand. But what we're really trying to do is access um, policymakers and leaders in using En-ROADS, which is very, you know, sort of a very similar um, mission to what you guys are all doing. And I think primarily the reason that I'm here today and also just the thing that I'm most excited about with CCL is trying to figure out how we can maximize our impact and tell our story. So I love that the first thing that was mentioned today was how many times you've had meetings, 486. Those numbers are super critical to us when we're thinking about maximizing the impact of En-ROADS, especially as it relates to getting in front of um, policymakers and leaders. And so what we really hope is that we can continue to work closely with you to measure that, to report that, and to talk about those successes, and to, to be able to start to tell some really great stories about what has happened as a result of people interacting with En-ROADS specifically in the policymaker community and in the policy ecosystem. So um, we're going to follow up with you after this and um, and hopefully come up with a few ways that we can really track the um, the engagements and, um, and just excited to be working together. So thank you for all your work. Great. Thank you, Bethany. So what we're going to be doing today is introducing En-ROADS and then really the vehicle for turning this into greenhouse gas emissions falling rapidly around the world will be engaging with your En-ROADS engagement action team. Laura Iyer, you're going to hear from her at the end, Peter Dugas, other members, I saw Laura Lindbergh and other good friends of ours have been using En-ROADS and you're getting more and more organized to use it. Uh, more into 2023. So you'll hear from Laura at the end, but sign up for the En-ROADS Engagement Action Team. That's the best way to be in, engaged via uh, CCL. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a 15-minute version of the hour, 45-minute, hour-and-a-half workshop that we run with members of Congress and other decision makers that you all have been running. It's more of a sampler of just the core of it. Okay, what we're trying to do, and I'm gonna, we're gonna be using polls to do it. Um, we're gonna be doing, focusing on the main components, engaging people at a deep level 
using En-ROADS, and secondly, addressing what-if questions, and excuse me, and particularly the yes-but things that come up. When you say, and I know you do, you say, we have this platform, carbon pricing, building electrification and efficiency, permitting reform, healthy forests. What comes up so often is, yes, but, yes, but, 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 but. How do you address the yes, buts? Oh, but fusion. Oh, but electric vehicles. Oh, but trillion trees, all these things that come up. Um, what we find is that research shows that showing people research doesn't work. We can't just counter those people. We need to engage at a deep level together. That's what we do with En-ROADS. All right, so here we go. First part is engaging and getting people to care about this issue. So the first thing we usually ask, and I bet you do the same, what do you care about? This is the question you're asking a decision maker. What matters to you when it comes to climate change? So one thing, and I, one of the possibilities is in this poll, and I see that many of you have already started using it, great. So go to Poll Everywhere. You see the link at the top, pollev.com, climate nine, inter 935. You figured it out. Answer this question. We want to see what you find when you talk to decision makers. If you use sea level rise or lots of entry points to impacts, what coastal city attracts the most sea level rise concern from decision makers? And what do I see? Miami. <coughs> Miami, <laughs> New York, Hampton, Boston area. Okay, great. It's starting with what they care about. And Miami is the biggest one. All right, it's getting the most answers. Florida Keys, Miami. All right, what we're going to do, and uh, I'm going to go over and start looking at En-ROADS itself. And this, of course, is freely available. If someone could just post the link, would you go ahead and post the link to En-ROADS in the chat to the whole group. Here it is. It is, of course, for people, 18 languages now. What you can do is, you, in a minute, we'll test policies. But to start, let's just talk about impacts. So if you click on one of these uh, titles under down here under impacts, you can see a whole range of things that you could look at. You could go look at air pollution, big environmental justice concern. You can go look at crop yield, death from extreme heat. I directed us towards sea level rise. So if you pull up sea level rise, it's you can see a flood risk map from somewhere in the world. Climate Central gave us the link to their sea level maps. And I actually guessed it. You guys are going to say Miami as well. You could type anything in here. So in this case, Miami Beach is a good place to go with Miami Beach, and click on that, there it is, and make it really big, because this is for a meeting where it's you and a laptop or at a, a room with a group of people, and you're able to look and zoom in or zoom out. Of course, with Miami Beach, a lot of the concern is sea level rise. This is 2100. Look at lower tip of Florida. As we've long known, um, we're very concerned about sea level rise there broadly, but specifically in Miami Beach. Decision makers like to look at specific roads, what will happen in places they are concerned about. When you dig deeper, you can go and look at not just 20, 
100, but 2030, we can look at if there's more warming and there's more uh, melting of Greenland or the West Antarctic ice sheet. You can look at a lot of these kind of questions or storm, uh, storm surges, et cetera. The point is start with looking at places that people care about. I saw San Francisco was mentioned here. So go look at places that matter to people. Go look at this valley, the Sacramento region, and just all that we, all the impacts that you can see around the world. So start there, because people don't want to think about temperature. They want to think about places and things that they care about. Uh, for me, it's crop yield that gets me out of bed. Feeding the people of the world. What is the anticipated decrease in crop yield from temperature, for example? So once you've established that, then we can start looking at what you want to direct people towards, of course, which is your four platforms. You want to get towards exploring the benefits of carbon pricing, building electrification and efficiency, permitting reform, healthy forests. But what we find is the path there goes via what are the things that come up that people mention as alternatives? You'll say those four. However, what we often hear is, yes, but, yes, but. So I'm curious, in your conversations, what are the most quoted alternatives to carbon pricing, building electrification and efficiency, healthy forests, and permitting reform? What are we hearing about that you're tempted to just tell people they're wrong and you're right, but truly what works is engaging people and thinking together, wow, you guys are good at this poll. Yes. So vote, vote, vote. This is it. Wow, look at you. Nuclear, nuclear, nuclear. Electric vehicles. Electric vehicles and nuclear. Uh, the death of the coal industry. Gas and coal CCS. Nuclear and EVs. All we need is nuclear and EVs. Maybe that's all we would need. It's really important to treat legitimately the existing, what we call mental models of the decision makers. Be curious about what they think, why they think, for example, nuclear and EVs is really all we need, maybe with a trillion trees, the big three, but that's clearly not your platform, nuclear, trillion trees and EVs. Uh, so what we use, we do is we use En-ROADS as a way to think together with the decision maker, not to say you're wrong, here's why, but to bring them into the conversation. In this case, let's look at those three, nuclear, EVs, trillion trees. So what you would be doing is going back to En-ROADS here, and first you just need to kind of lay out the story of this baseline that you see. And in this baseline, what we have is in the top left, where the world gets its energy. Coal in brown, oil in red, gas in blue on top of it, wind and solar, bioenergy. And that little band, that little blue at the top is the nuclear that gets, <coughs> which there's interest in right now. What if we change this into the future? Right now though, that burns a lot of coal, oil and gas, burns CO2, add in methane and other gases and you get overall greenhouse gas emissions. That's on the top right. See that little blip there in 2021, 20? That is the COVID effect, 
right there. But this is where things are headed with very weak action around the world. Now, the U.S. is part of this, but this is a global model. <clears throat> Think China, India, Indonesia, Brazil, South Africa are a big part of all this. This is not a U.S. model. We're thinking about the whole world. So given this world, what if we had more nuclear? So the thing you do is you don't just say, here's why I'm right and you're wrong. You really want to say, well, what do you think? What if we had the top end, above the top end of what the International Atomic Energy Agency thinks is possible when it comes to nuclear and get people thinking and simulating their own, what we call mental model. So what if we had well above the highest estimates of the International Atomic Energy Agency, that temperature that was 3.6, where do you think, frankly, where do you think they think? That's the better question, really. Maybe answer that way. What is the answer for that decision maker who says, oh yeah, nuclear and EVs and trillion trees? And you say, well, just nuclear. All we get is a, a huge amount of nuclear around the world. What do you think they would answer? It's interesting. Look at the amazing diversity of your answers. Some people think it's a silver bullet all the way below two. Some say it's really minor, 3.4 to 3.6. The key here is be truly curious and ask and get people to service their thinking. Why? How would it be that nuclear power would bring temperature down that much? What's going on in the world with coal, oil, and gas, etc.? Okay, most votes, 2.5 to 2.9, but boy, all three top categories got a lot. So let's go back and let's go test it. So here we are, we can test, you can see at the bottom, you can have less or more coal, oil, gas, wind and solar. There's nuclear that we'll test in a minute. We can test energy efficiency and electrification. So the nature-based solutions over here, population, et cetera. More nuclear. So for more nuclear, I'm going to pull up, and if you look under here, there are many, many uh, areas that we can look at, gigawatts. Right now, about one nuclear power plant is about one gigawatt. So we're here around 400 in the world. We're assuming a doubling over the century already. In this story, we already, in this baseline, have a doubling of nuclear power. So what if it's cheaper and it spreads around the world much more extensively? Let's simulate. And you really need to think through, what's it gonna do? It's gonna displace coal and gas, and that's gonna reduce emissions. So we should see these emissions come down. We should see temperature go come down. So I'm going to subsidize it here and then boom. So you can see it going all the way up not to a doubling, but almost 10 times as big. And I'll run it again. It's the y-axis on the left is uh, changing. That's why you see the black line go down, but it's basically simulating several times. And over in the top right, we can see the change in emissions. So the change in emissions, the blue line has departed from the black, but barely. 3.6 goes to 3.5. It's only 0.1. Why? Well, the world doesn't need nuclear for its own good. The world doesn't really need wind and solar either. What we need to do for climate is to burn less coal, oil, and gas. Note, that's what's so great about carbon pricing. Uh, less coal, but just a little bit less coal. 
a little bit less gas. And then oil, well, it really doesn't change at all because it doesn't help with transportation so much. So a fairly modest impact if we had a large amount, much less of an impact than we really would have thought. However, it could help. And it also reduces energy uh, costs a little bit, which is kind of nice. However, and most models around the world agree, it could be no, not a silver bullet, but part of a silver buckshot kind of approach of many things together. Now, mind you, this does fit well to, with another policy that you just suggested, which is EVs. And I'll go back and just look at electric vehicles. And you'll notice there are a whole series of actions that are like this, that people think will have a really big impact. We don't have the time to go through them now. If you go through the training that we offer and work with Laura and Peter and the team, you can learn about many of them, but you already started pointing at them. The others, uh, I mentioned fusion. Fusion is pretty similar. 3.6 goes down to 3.4. Either of those solutions aren't helping that much. In the same way, electric vehicles alone, just 0.2 degrees. Now, mind you, those two things together could have a, a larger effect. So if you imagined more nuclear or zero carbon energy and other green sources of energy, if we're able to decarbonize as well as electrify together, these are combinations of policies that could get us down much lower, in this case, down to 3.2 degrees. The other top one of the these non-silver bullet, perhaps lower priority actions, and we don't have the time to dig in deeply, but basically a trillion trees is a very modest impact on overall temperature while using a large, large, large amount of land. It just doesn't help that much. One reason, very small, amount of removals. This is the removals of CO2. That five or six gigatons is very small relative to burning coal, oil, and gas. And look, notice the decade it happens. It's out in the 2060s and 2070s that the trees grow large enough to actually remove a significant amount of carbon. So what we're seeing back to your list is a large number of lower priority things that we may need to do we want to plant trees, it's particularly good for biodiversity, forests need it, like as part of your platform, excuse me, cities need them for addressing urban heat island effects and improving quality of life. However, there are many possibly distracting actions that don't help nearly as much as they get discussed. And I'm gonna go back to this list before that you saw, around nuclear, trillion trees, electric vehicles, fusion, gas and coal CCS are a good example of this, um, and many others that we could look at. So the first thing you can do, and it takes more digging into En-ROADS to do it really well, will be to help guide people away from lower leverage, but often discuss things that are not your four sets of policies. So what are those four policies? As you know, and this is really the next thing you say is, well, if not just those actions, what shall we do? And I'm going to cut to the chase because time is short. I said this is the 15-minute version. 
to cut to the chase, you know what is really powerful. And what's really powerful is, first of all, carbon pricing. And I'll show you if you can test it here. Very simply, you can just hit a button at the front or you click on these three dots. You can set specific carbon prices. Someone says they want $173 a ton. Boom, you go see what that does to the overall system and you could make it grow from 173 even higher later. Why does it help so much? You all are the experts on carbon pricing, but what's really powerful about it is watch in the top left how it reduces coal, oil, and gas and does it soon, not just by promoting the competition for coal, oil, and gas, but by making it more expensive so it doesn't get used in the next critical 5, 10, 15 years. It reduces those emissions soon. It also leads to lower energy consumption and drives more efficiency. Those are some of the powers of carbon pricing. You can also explore other things that really matter, like the dividend component. How much money is generated? The revenue globally would be about $5 trillion by that $173 a ton. That could be dividended, as you all proposed, back to people. There are also equity concerns that need to be addressed, such as what it does to the cost of energy. You are all well aware of this challenge when it comes to some of these equity considerations. Of course, there's another side of the equity consideration that matters is, oh, how great it is when it comes to air pollution, PM 2.5 emissions, one of the great drivers of environmental injustice in the world today. How many people die from air quality problems? This is a graph of PM 2.5 emissions. So there's one action, carbon pricing. Add to it some of the other things that you promoted, building electrification. I'm not even gonna undo this and show you how right you are to add energy efficiency in buildings and electrification in buildings. Look at how that pulls out a full 0.5 degrees on its own. Great choice of a second policy area. Add carbon pricing and you get a combination down well below three degrees. Of course, for the kind of growth that we really wanna see in renewable energy, we will also need your commitment to permitting reform. You are right about the need for permitting because if we're gonna get this kind of growth in wind and solar, this kind of growth, and note it really balances out, which is good because of energy efficiency, we don't need as much wind and solar the second half of the century. If we're gonna get that kind of growth, we need permitting reform. Thank you for working on that. And the fourth with healthy forests, when we start looking at what can be done in ag and healthy forests, deforestation. These are the kinds of actions that together with others can get us well below two degrees. That leads us back to those graphs we saw before of sea level rise. And you can see, take people back to the impacts on the places that we were just looking at. So go look at, in this case, different areas of the world, what sea level rise is, how it's different in those areas. So what I've done is a really brief 15 minute version of an hour and a half workshop where you engage people about what they care about, 
you dispense with the yes, but kind of conversations about the alternatives to your four point plan, carbon pricing, building electrification and building efficiency, permitting reform and healthy forests. And then you help them construct a scenario that does get well below two degrees, focusing on your platform and then tie it back to the impacts that you really care about. Boy, I've really been hollering at you pretty intensely. I'm going to slow down just a little bit. Your actions. What can you do about this? It's join the En-ROADS the engagement team, action team that Laura and team have been uh, promoting and are leading. So I'll turn it over. Laura, say a few words, if you would, about the action team, what it's doing and how people can be involved. Hi, yeah, this this is Laura, and we have been thinking about an action team for literally years. Since the moment this was um, shown to us, we've been excited to, um, to start an action team. And this meeting with Drew really got us, uh, gave us a deadline. So next week, we'll be launching the Inroads Engagement Action Team. You can join right now, and hopefully you'll come to our kickoff meeting which will be next Thursday, seven o'clock Eastern time um, by Zoom. And what we hope to do is we know that we are all using this tool um, you know, extensively. And so there's a lot of experts out there and a lot of creative ways that we're using the tool. So we're asking us all to come together and let's start sharing those experiences and let's make sure that we're passing on those learnings to each other. And hopefully this will be a forum to do that. And we expect to do a couple of things. One is we're going to, to take a deep dive into some of these levers that Drew was talking about. I've noticed on the questions, you know, there's a lot of questions on well, what about nuclear or, or what about this? And we're going to have an opportunity to potentially spend an hour. I think in, in March, we're going to spend a whole hour on nuclear and we're going to get to ask those questions and explore it together. Um, and also we're going to look at different um, target groups or different um, levers of, of change that we like grass tops. Our, our first launch will be um, addressed to healthcare um, professionals, and which are a very influential voice to people when they talk about climate change. And how can we use the tool to work with healthcare professionals and to show um, effects of, of health in, in terms of climate change? So I hope you will come and, and join and see what we have to offer um, next Thursday. And we're also going to offer um, on a week from then on January 26th a workshop as well. And you should see that invite through there. We'll uh, an hour and a half workshop, as, as Drew was saying, and really have that experience if you haven't already um, to see, see what that feels like. And um, I had a just one personal experience, and I know we all have, and I want to share those too, because I think those are so imperative, is that I was working in an environmental group. It wasn't from CCL, but another one. And I kept saying, I need to show you inroads. I need to show you inroads as the group as we're working all these environmental issues. Finally, after several months, they allowed me to present. And the woman who was incredibly environmentally um, active said, oh, I guess what we really need to do is, you know, learn ways to limit our fossil fuel. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've been saying that for but inroads was the one was the way to get through, and so I mean, there's many ways to do it, and this is only one of many of the ways that we engage. But um, I hope you'll join us on Thursday, and we can dig in this together. Um, I also want to just say that Steve Levin 
Um, John Keller, Barbara Sullivan Waltz, Jan Berry, and Peter Dugas has really been involved in getting this going. So um, really thanks to them as well. Thank you, Laura. And uh, over to you, Madeline and team. Okay. Yes, Drew and Laura and Bethany, thank you so much for the time today. It is terrific that we have this action team starting, which you can connect to by going to community clicking on connect and then clicking on the action team list because we don't have any time for questions, but you have that wonderful place to bring them and those wonderful next steps that Laura talked about. Uh, so Drew, um, we are, as you can tell, super excited. Bethany are, and I are chatting again, away about connecting. We have uh, also a conversation going about having a two hour Saturday seminar as part of our uh, June conference that I'll talk about later. So sorry you don't get to ask questions today, folks, but we've got uh, ways for you to continue. Thanks again, Drew. I know you have to do other things on your weekend, but you are, of course, always welcome to stay <laughs> and come back. Okay, so um, let's move on to a few other things that we like to do before the end of the call, and I'll, I'll summarize it this way. Um, if there's one thing that I hope you take away from the last 10 minutes, of the call, it's that small numbers add up. You know, you could look at that as that's the lesson of humanity's carbon emissions over time, of course. But it's also the lesson of your actions, the 486 reported to Enro's presentations in two years, for example. Who knew it would add up to that many? One by one, 804 lobby meetings happened last year. One by one, you wrote and reported exactly 3,500 letters to the editor last year and held 2,133 outreach events. So, you know, those are the ones we know of. We love it when you report things in the action tracker. Action tracker. And if you're listening to this meeting and your ability to put time into CCL actions is limited, Please do take away from today that we appreciate whatever individual actions that you can take because it does all add up. Now, recently I've been talking with a regional coordinator about the state of our chapters. It's been great to be having these conversations. We've been chatting about things like what does it make to what does a healthy chapter look like and what should growth look like and what does it look like to be a transformational organization in 2023 as we kind of come out of the pandemic. So there are a couple of things that are clear to me at this point, and we're certainly not done talking. Um, one is the affirmation or reaffirmation that there isn't one best way to do things. And we're gonna continue trusting you to experiment and adapt in your CCL work, and then share with us what you learn. Another thing that we uh, could probably do more is to appreciate and encourage our smaller groups. So if you're in a group of five or four or three or two, or even what we say always with a smile, a group of one, you are not insignificant. You're a valued and necessary part of our national team. So maybe some social science research will help you believe me. I recently reread the chapter of a book called Prime to Perform, which focused on optimal group sizes. And you can find Prime to Perform referenced in our guide to transformational organizing that is on community in the training section. It turns out that there are several levels of what you might call naturally occurring group sizes that offer different levels of emotional connectivity. 
And I don't think it's a surprise that connectedness is important for a group to function and for, for helping people to keep trying and persisting in their efforts, which of course we know we need to do. So at the smallest level, people often have a handful of close friends that are labeled in the book as confidants. That's where the level of deepest trust and accountability happens and that can really support high performance. So if you're in a group where the meetings have five or fewer people, you're in a good position to support each other well, and there's no need to wish to be bigger. You'll make a difference by persisting. So the next level up that they talk about in the book that seems to occur often among humans, the authors labeled the hunting party. I don't like that. Hunting parties are around 15 people. And people often work closely together in them towards specific common goals. A lot of sports teams are that size. So your small group might grow into a hunting party. And as it does, it's ideal if people have ways to connect and to find a few confidants from within the group. Okay, so several hunting parties might turn into a village of 40 to 50. And that would be our largest chapters. Groups that tend to be that large tend to need to work harder at connectivity and need to create smaller groups within them. And that's why our largest chapters usually have lots of teams. So whatever your group size, from one to 50, the important thing is that you find a way to stay in action and stay connected. I'm gonna keep hammering this so that all our small numbers can add up to big ones nationally. I also wanna uh, share a few stories next. Um, so in the group leader meeting last week, we used this easy template to create a personal CCL outreach story. And yes, of course, you can find it in the action sheet as a link as part of the communication skills exercise. The template has three parts. Part one, before I found CCL. Part two, how finding CCL empowered me. Part three, how we are successful in CCL. I think it's best if that's just one or maybe two sentences on each. And those three elements will make a great personal outreach story. So what we did in the group leader call was we gave them time, just two minutes, right during the call to jot down what they would say for those three parts. And I'm going to read you a few of those stories. Here's what they did in two minutes. Story one. Before I found CCL, I was extremely frustrated. I'm right of center, and I just wasn't finding an organization where I felt like I fit in. Then I found CCL. I've only lobbied in DC once, but walking those halls and seeing all those names reminded me of my power as a citizen and a voter. And it was just an awe-inspiring experience, which I hope to repeat again. I have to say here, yes, come to the June conference. Okay, the last part, part. I know we're effective because Senator Whitehouse and other people have told us how effective we are. And that carries a lot of weight with me because you know these politicians that our national figures are telling us we're making a difference. The second story is uh, a very succinct person. Before CCL, I did not have a sense of how I could make a difference as an individual. With CCL, I feel a part of a connected community working toward a set of common goals. I feel that CCL has given me a platform to stand on. And one more, just because I love all the variety. Before joining CCL, I felt lost and hopeless about stopping climate change and frightened. 
When I joined CCL, I plunged in because of the tremendous support and encouragement I got from Dr. Hansen, Mark, Marshall, Ellie, and Steve. And the more people I met, the more I fell in love with the organization, so much so that I became a group leader. Now I can see that our work is effective because I've been able to reach out to so many people. And I see that we've reached both sides of the aisle and our message that we need to stabilize the climate is working. So what do you do with those stories? So they're outreach stories. You can use them anywhere you wanna talk about CCL. When you're presenting, when you're tabling, when you run into a friend at the grocery store, in a letter to the editor, in a lobby meeting. Okay, again, you can find the template in the January action sheet. And maybe you'll just take two minutes right now or right after this call when I'm done uh, to make your own story. No time like the present. All right, so real quickly, here's what I wanna say about the action sheet this month. It's chock full of ideas. And if you need ideas, it is the place to go. We don't expect you to do all of them. I wanna remind you of that. So the short version of uh, at the high level of what it amounts to there is first, keep going in your group on figuring out how you'll work with CCL's new policy agenda. And second, as the new Congress settles in and works through its complications, work out a way with your liaisons and with the other groups who share your members of Congress, work out a way to connect in the next couple of months with your members of Congress in a way that's gonna build a relationship and that can offer you and your group as a resource to them. You know, we can all see that their job is quite difficult. And if you can provide a sense of relief or help or wholeness or optimism to them at this stage, I think it will pay dividends later on when Congress is moving on specific legislation. They're still getting organized right now. So that's our second priority that we're asking you to think about. So last thing I wanna to do today is talk briefly about conferences. I'm really excited because we've got more chances to get together in person. So our June national conference is going to be June 10th to 12th in Washington, DC. And yes, it's going to include lobbying in person on the Hill like we did before COVID. Registration for the conference and the lobby day will open next month at this meeting time on February 11th. But go ahead and mark your calendars now for June 10th to 11th, and I hope you don't have any family reunions scheduled then. The conference is really a perfect way to dive in if you're new, and it's a great way to get reconnected and re-inspired. So how many of your confidants in CCL or your members of your hunting party can you get to come? Because I think the National Conference is like a trip to the big city, of course, with loads of opportunity. Now, at the village level, we have five regional or state conferences planned for the next three months. So yes, the return of in-person regional conferences in five of our regions, that's California, Texas, the Northeast, the Southeast, and the Mid-Atlantic. So watch for those announcements. Uh, registrations are starting to come out for them. And those, again, the registrations, the regional conferences, they're kind of like a trip to the village because there's all kinds of cross-pollination that can happen there, grounded in your state and region. And maybe, just maybe, you'll fall in love, appropriately, of course, with someone from another chapter somewhere else. Okay, and then lastly, on conferences, we're holding our 
third conservative climate leadership conference in Washington, D.C., March 28th to 29th. And that will include lobbying a smaller set of Republicans on the Hill. So this event is only for right of center climate advocates. So if that's you, please come. And if you aren't right of center, please think about who you know that is and that might wanna work with us on climate solutions. Remember that first climate story I told about how much that mattered to him. Our right of center climate advocates treasure having a space to connect with each other. And we've also found that sometimes something extra powerful could happen when Republican members of Congress have a chance to meet with them. So liberals, please help us recruit conservatives and libertarians and other right of center folks to come March 28th to 29th. Scholarships are available and information is on our main website. I feel like I just gave a commercial. That's kind of cool. All right, so meanwhile, have a great month, have fun with your confidence and in your hunting parties and keep those actions coming that add up one by one to great big things. Thanks everybody. See you next time.